Yeah. Appreciate you doing this. Uh, How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, we're okay. How I many you have your, you're sort of on a virtual book tour, right? How's that going? I have been doing that. I call it uh, the name of my virtual book tour. Book tour is Remain Online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's going, it's going well. I mean, what else can we do? It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and I think people are hungry for this kind of content anyway. Um, yeah. So anyway, we'll kick it off. I'll do, I do the, uh, my brother and I, this is Trace. I'm Migs, this is Trace. How do you do? Um, we met at FTC a year, I think Mystic Bowie introduced us a long time ago. I wouldn't expect oh, you to remember, cool. but yeah. I've seen you a couple of times at FTC. Um, okay, so I'll start. The Westport Public Library and the Quick Center for the Arts in cooperation with iTunes proudly presents Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast with me, Migs Burroughs. And me, Trace Burroughs. Uh, today, we're excited to have Chris France with us, drummer, songwriter, musician, one of the founding members of the band Talking Heads with his wife, Tina Weymouth. And um, the mu their music still played on thousands of playlists all around the country because I hear it all the time every time I turn on the radio. Uh, and it's influenced a lot of bands uh, like um, Eddie Vedder, The Weeknd, Vampire Weekend, Primus, Nelly Furtado, and Radiohead. And that's probably just a few of many more. <laughs> yeah. Hi. How are you? Hi. <laughs> Can I, I have to start one personal, one very local question, because I think we lived in Shadyside at, at the, in the same year, 1967. Oh, really? You live in Pittsburgh? I'm, yeah, I'm sure we never crossed paths. I went to Carnegie Institute of Technology. Oh, yeah. Great and school. Did you ever study painting there or do any take any classes there? Or? You know, I, I did not, but I, I sort of, uh, what do you call it, audited yeah. a few classes at the School of Art there. And um, I, I didn't, my parents didn't move to, to Shadyside proper until I was already away at college. But I lived out in what was called Fox Chapel. Oh yeah, I know that. Yeah, and um, and I went to Shady Side Academy, which, you know, uh, was like a a boys' preparatory school. But I um, that's where I got turned on to painting by a great teacher I had there, and um, and that's why I ended up at the Rhode Island School of Design eventually. Yeah. Yeah, RISD. Yeah, a lot of Carnegie. People, I ended up in the, I started in the engineering department, ended up in the art drama department, and um, a lot of people oh, good for you. transferred yeah. to RISD. But, um, I, I applied to RISD, but they rejected me. <laughs> what? Yeah, I went to the interview and I said some wrong words, and I could feel the vibe when I said it. I sounded like oh, a leadist or something, and, and, I, and so I didn't get in there. I went to school of visual arts for one week. And then oh, well, that's for one week. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it can deal, you know, it's a little, yeah. it was a hard time back then. Yeah. Um, so I have a question for you. So you wrote the lyrics or the music to a lot of the Talking Heads songs, and it's played all the time. Do you still get royalties for those songs? I do. Yeah. I do. Um, it's, I mean, uh, we're very fortunate in that Talking Heads songs still sound hip today mm. i mean thank god <laughs> it'd be so embarrassing if they didn't sound hip but they uh, do uh yeah. most of them anyway and and uh 
you must have a big like a new following just like bands that have been around a long time because they wouldn't play those songs on the radio all the time so there must be more of a like a youthful discover you know group that are discovering you I, yeah i think i think there's a a lot of young people out there that are um how shall i say this looking for something of substance that that means something mm uh that moves them emotionally and also intellectually and uh and talking heads still does that for some people and and uh i'm very pleased that i mean i i get messages all the time on facebook or or even in my email chris my 17 year old daughter loves your band <laughs> and i'm like oh great <laughs> we must be doing something right so do you get approached or David Byrne about doing like a reunion, you know, concert like band, you know? Uh, yes, we've had, we've had many offers and excellent offers. And in my opinion, only a crazy person would say no. <laughs> and, there, and there is one of those in the band. <laughs> well, let's just say that he continues to say no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're very fortunate. All, all, all four of the original members are still alive. Uh, we're, we're still well, and we can play. And we, we, you know, it's an opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. Uh, mm. Yeah, especially if you both feel like it. I mean, the the book is. We we both read the book, and and at the end, I mean, there's that wonderful kind of end piece. You know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and you're reflecting on all the all the fellow musicians who have died tragically and or at their own hand or whatever and and you yeah. guys are still alive and one of the few bands that are willing you know that you know to to, to keep going and, and i think it's great it's a love letter to the band and it's a love letter to tina obviously yes you are correct that's that was my intention because i i i'm I'm so fortunate to have been married to Tina for it, it's now 43 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, although we've been living together for nearly 50 years, wow. <laughs> it's oh. crazy. That's but, crazy. but, um, uh, uh, and, and I still have great love and admiration for, for my, uh, various bands and bandmates. And, and, uh, you know, I, I have a good feeling about what it was that we accomplished. Sure. Well, this is a personal I mean, it's in the book so it's it's not and you know the, uh, and, and i have to hats off to you for this because you were infatuated with tina and and you apparently had a few failed attempts at connecting and you just worked up the nerve and i think went to her her knocked on her door and said i want to sleep with you i mean who, <laughs> who gets the nerve how did you work up the nerve to say that i don't know how i did that because i i uh I, I never was a guy who who considered myself to be smooth with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I was always very shy, uh, particularly around uh, women that I found to be attractive. But but uh, I, I had become friends with Tina uh, for about a year at that point, and and you know we weren't. We were, she had another boyfriend and I had another girlfriend, but I, I just knew that she was the one, something, mm. something told me, this is the one, Chris, go for it. And so 
so I did. And she, she, she kind of almost laughed when I said <laughs> that. And she said, well, Chris, you, you realize I have another boyfriend and I could never do that. Uh, and I, I said, yeah, I know, but <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a patient guy. I'm willing to wait. Oh, and I did off. wait. Mm. Yeah. And then you waited and he disappeared and then you, she called you or did you have to like persist and keep on like uh, well, talking you know, <laughs> on, on, on the, if it was not the night they broke up, it was shortly after <laughs> they broke up that I found Tina literally sitting in the bushes huh. along, along benefit street in Providence, not far from my apartment. Like we lived, we lived about a block away from each other in various apartments. And I, I was making that walk from one end to the other. And I heard this sobbing coming oh. out of the bushes. I thought, Oh my God, somebody's in the bushes sobbing. I better see who it is. And, um, uh, I looked and it was Tina mm. and, and, and uh, she had broken up with her boyfriend. She had a bad cold, either bronchitis or uh, flu. I don't, I'm not, not sure exactly. And so she had been self-medicating with uh, Sudafed, <laughs> a blackberry brandy. She was <laughs> drinking right out of the bottle. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, Tina, this is, I said, are you okay? And she said, no, I feel terrible. And I said, well, you want to go to my place? And she said, yes. Oh. <laughs> and nothing happened that night. I was, she was too, too under the weather, mm -hmm. but, but, but we did sleep together. I, I kept my clothes on though. Lots of romantic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next morning, though, she felt better, and uh, and things proceeded very well after that. Yeah. So you, when you, when the talking had started out, you, um, you toured with the Ramones, right? Yes, that was our the first. Well, the first show we ever did was uh, opening for the Ramones at CBGBs, and then the first tour we ever did was uh, we had recently signed a contract with Sire Records in New York, and the Ramones were also on Sire. So the, the Ramones were offered a tour of what they call the capitals of Europe. <laughs> I can tell you it was more than just the capitals. That we, <laughs> but but uh, it was a six-week tour of, of Europe and the UK. And... Uh, we were invited to join them as the opening act and, and we did. And it was so great because, you know, this was the heyday of punk music. Yeah. Uh, the Sex Pistols had just released their album, their, their one and only album. <laughs> the Clash had just re released their first album, The Jam, uh, uh, The Slits. All, uh, Ian Dury and the Black Blockheads was about to, released there so it was there was this burgeoning scene in england and europe and it was my first visit ever to europe i had not been there before and uh, did you guys get to play i know you played at the roundhouse i remember when i went to england in 71 and i remember a lot of bands were at the roundhouse i'm not yeah. sure i got i probably had gone i, I was just watching, listening to music all the time but did you ever get to play the marquee club the famous uh, I never played the Marquee Club. We played the 100 Club 
Do you remember the 100? No. No. The Ram Jam Club. I, I went thing went to at a different time. And there was the Ram Jam was a big place plus the marquee. I don't remember the 100. Speedy. Was that in so Soho? Or so? Wait, I take it back. I take it back. I did play the marquee club really? with TomTom Tom Club. Oh. About, yes, of course we did. About six or eight years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, and, um maybe yeah six years ago and uh oh it, it was it was great it's a tiny place yeah but, yeah. but uh so you know was, it has a great history so historic yeah. I, I, I was there watching a show this is 1965 so i was standing in there watching i think sonny and Cher had just come over to england to come and then they said oh we have a special guest in the audience uh, we'd like to just give give him a hand, and they said Eric Clapton. Turns out he was standing right next to me. I had no clue, and everybody's looking. I think looking at me, and I'm going, "What's going on?" And it turns out he's standing right there. But yeah, that was such a, a, a such a, a an amazing historic. Did Clapton place. come up and play with Sonny and Cher. That's a <laughs> no, he didn't. He was just he was just there to see the freak show. I mean, it was it was pretty yeah. crazy, right? But um, I, we interviewed Harvey Brooks, you know, the bass player who's done sure. with, and all that everybody yeah. uh and we asked him the same something i want to ask you is that how did he we asked him how did you avoid i mean he had so many friends die and all this horrible stuff going on he said how did you keep from going over the cliff like so many others did and how, not succumb you know to the, the stuff that's on the road the drugs the, the 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 sleepless nights the rest of it and here you are you're you're healthy and alive and and still in love and what do you what do you think the the magic your secret sauce was there? <laughs> well, in in my case, it was really uh, uh, Tina and and a few of my friends that kept me from going off the deep end with uh, you know cocaine and and alcohol mm -hmm. and because the 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 two of those kind of go hand in hand. You know, you do a little line, then you have a little <laughs> drink, then you do another little line, then you have another little drink. And I, I got into that. Uh, you know, we shunned uh, cocaine for a long time because we thought, oh, that's such a music business cliche. <laughs> we don't want to have it. But then when you've been touring for, a, for like months on end and somebody offers you a line and you try it and you feel, <laughs> wow, I feel great now. So, um, that 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 happened to me but but um but tina and also you know my manager and uh my business manager they all said chris you know tina's gonna leave you if you don't get yourself together mm. and uh and she told me so herself we we had just you know we had a one-year-old child and i just thought Ah, I can't blow it. Uh, it's too. My life is too good. I can't blow it. And I, I went into a, uh, a uh, an outpatient treatment program where you where you don't have to um, spend the night there. You just go in for the day, and you know they test your urine <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, to make sure you're not lying. And um, I, it was a program for what they call for successful. Uh, people with substance abuse problems. So I was, I was in the room with these CEOs and stuff <laughs> and the okay. children of movie stars, mm. uh, as some of whom lived in Westport. No. And, uh, name names. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names, but, but, uh, but it, was a, it was an excellent program and, and it worked for mm. me. Mm. 
it worked, I'm happy to say. When reading your book, I could relate to a lot of your, like you started out like as a kid and about the music and places you went like, a, I remember you mentioned Big Bad John, that song. Remember? Yeah. Oh yeah, Big, Big Bad, Bad John. John. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John. All those yep. songs, those not sort of almost novelty songs from that era, you know. Yeah. Um, and um, back in LA, uh, Rodney Bingenheimer, he yeah. was like a huge fo- uh, promoter of the new music, especially I only remember punk, but I remember I went to see the group, the Dead Kennedys. You remember them? Oh, sure. Yeah, and 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 uh, it was like a, a the club. It wasn't my thing, but I I worked at Warner Brother Records in the warehouse, so we got all these tickets to go to things. And uh-huh. um, I remember they, they gave a guy a haircut with a a, a pocket knife on stage, <laughs> so they grabbed his hair and just chopped away at his hair, and then he just jumped in the crowd. So he was fine with fine with that, you know. Uh yeah, those were wild times. That yeah. that was that like club lingerie or madame wong's or i don't remember the name yeah um, but they they were hardcore the dead kennedys yeah yeah they were hard yeah uh they they um too drunk to fuck was their their big hit oh i'll never forget it (laughs) yeah I'm curious about the process of, uh, you know, not getting too deep into it, but, you know, every page in your book is, it, it could be a movie. I mean, there's so many names and so many little dramas, not little, big and little dramas. So how, you know, and then you go back, like that goes back a long time. Did you keep meticulous notes or, uh, and, and, you know, how did you, it's so vivid, the part, the, 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 one of the enjoyable things about it is you bring this, these things to life with so much detail and and how is that possible? Well, I I should have kept diaries or journals, but I never did. I'm I'm kick, kicking myself today that I didn't, because then I could just publish my journals. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the France diaries. Yeah. I I knew I should be doing it as as these events transpired, but I just never got it together. Uh, but I do. I'm fortunately blessed with a good memory still. I mean, let mm. knock, knock on wood, gentlemen, that are memory. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. But, but uh, I was fortunate to have Tina. Tina was our road manager at the time, and she kept not journals but date books, like like she would buy them at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, calendar books, mm. and uh, the one from 1977 has King Tut on the cover because that remember that when yeah yeah sure i saw it i saw the exhibit yeah yeah so it was big a big deal and uh so on on any particular date she would have the name of the venue how many tickets were sold uh how many encores we got no really whether or not she thought uh the promoter had done a good job and uh Maybe a maybe a comment like "never come back to this town again," or or yeah. or make sure we play for this promoter next time we come to town, that type of thing. So I was able to use those, and and that that helped refresh my memory quite a bit just by looking at that date on the calendar and, and remembering what ha- what happened that day, and uh, you know. Uh, those particular times in Europe uh, with the Ramones were are very vivid 
still in my memory because it was the first time I'd been to Europe. You know, it's the first time I'd ever uh, been to Paris. Mm. You know, and it was so exciting to me that it's kind of like indelibly imprinted in my brain. You know, the, the Ramones played in Westport. Uh, yeah, the Players Tavern. Yeah, the Players Tavern. Yeah. So did we. Did you really? At the Players Tavern? Yeah. And and that that's one of the ones that Tina says, never come back to this venue again. <laughs> because somebody, while we were on stage, somebody stole her toolbox. Oh, man. And, you know, Tina's, Tina's a real do-it-yourselfer. Uh-huh. And, and I think it was the opening act that stole her toolbox. Oh, that's terrible. And, she was so mad. She still remembers that. Uh, um, well, I don't other, blame Otherwise, it was a very pleasant experience in Westport. Oh, it was the only place with good music. You know, they, you know, yeah. Albert King and, uh, and, and Terry Smith and with Tim Terry and Tim Smith. Yeah, ran the place. Uh, they must have had some music connections or something. They got a lot of big groups. They didn't pay them all. They got in trouble for not paying the, you know, taxes and all the rest of it. And then it, Oh yeah, it burned to the ground and got built, rebuilt by other people. But that was the only great music place in the immediate place in the area. So one of the more colorful chapters in the book is is about your life early on and life in the Bowery. And uh, yeah, I almost wonder how you. It doesn't sound you know how you survive that is is a testament to some sort of <laughs> will. Uh, how did you power through the Bowery? You know, you're stepping over. There's guns shots bullets going through your window there's people on the streets dead people every you know yeah it was it was a real uh it was an experience that builds character (laughs) okay (laughs) and uh you know uh when i when i first moved to new york uh tina's brother was living who was an architect jan weymouth was living in a loft in long island city and we, Tina and I were staying with him and I thought, oh, this loft idea, this loft idea is great. I, I should get a loft. And I had a little money saved up, about $2,000 I had for my, my summer job. And I, uh, I said, I'm going to get the village voice and start looking for lofts. And he said, no, no, don't don't mess with the village voice look get yourself the sunday times and look in the real estate at the industrial real estate section look for raw lofts <laughs> so so i said okay and and sure enough i i i there were plenty of raw lofts available at that 1974 and and uh i got one I ended up getting one on Christie Street, 195 Christie Street, which is one block off the Bowery, one block below Houston, and uh, three blocks from CBGB's. So it ended up being very convenient. Uh, And uh, other people were living in that area too, like Debbie Harry and Chris Stein were just one block away on the Bowery. Uh, in a loft there. Um, Ornette Coleman was two blocks away. Hmm. Uh, Philip Glass was just a few blocks away. Uh, uh, Joey and Dee Dee Ramone were a few blocks away. So it, there was this little community, although you'd never see it when you were walking down the street, you know, you'd think, God, you know, what a mess this place is. But, but 
behind closed doors, there were actually very wonderful mm. things happening. And a lot of artists living there. I mean, Rauschenberg lived there. Vito Acconci lived there. Uh, Jasper Johns. It, it was a real, you know, uh, even those big time artists didn't want to pay Soho prices in those days. <laughs> <laughs> Soho was still, you know, still had in those days still had all the trucks parked along the street and there there was like one restaurant and two no, two restaurants and and three bars and that was it in all of Soho. And and uh but but again, in the lofts upstairs behind closed doors people were doing great work. It must have been exciting to be a part of that scene. It, it, we probably felt the energy of new things happening. No, yes, you know, all over the place there. Yeah. It was ex exciting, and and one great thing about CBGBs was, uh, uh, as the crowds grew, you know, the first time we played there, there was maybe we opened for the Ramones, and uh, there was maybe ten people to see us and ten people to see the Ramones <laughs> in, in, in a place that holds three hundred and fifty. <laughs> so. Uh, people were not exactly breaking down the door to see us. But as things got better, you know, not just musicians, but other artists, painters, sculptors, actors, actresses, would start to hang out at CBGB's. And it became a, it became a real bona fide scene. Right, yeah. And uh, just what I had hoped it would become. Because I, I thought, oh, when I first moved to New York, I thought, oh, I got to find a place like the Cavern Club was to the mm. Beatles mm. Or, or like the Fillmore was to the Grateful Dead and the Jefferson Airplane, you know, a, a place to, that's happening. And, and it turned out this little dive bar was really happening. Is yeah. it still there today? It's, it's not there today, unfortunately. Oh. It, it's now a... Uh, they should have made a shrine out of it. Yeah. Well, there is sort of a shrine in the back. It's a John Varvatos oh, clothing boutique. Now. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh well, you know, the cotton the cotton club's not there anymore either. Right, and, and the Marquee Club disappeared. Right, makes because um, yeah. So um, you met Andy Warhol back then. I read you know in that part of the, in the yeah. Book. And what yeah. did he mean when he said to you? Tell me if I got this quote right. Oh, go easy on the vodka, or you're going to lose your finger. Fit, fit, you say figure? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, 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 well, I thought it says fingers. You know, okay, finger. I wrote it. Uh, figure. Okay, I understand. Oh, that. I, get it. Yeah. I guess I, I guess he noticed I was hammering down the vodka. <laughs> you know, he had a deal with Absolute Vodka, and oh, so he they, he gave them some artwork, and they gave him an endless supply of vodka which was served at this uh, lunch at the factory. Andy invited us. He, he came to see us with some friends of ours. He came down to uh, see us at CBGB's and invited us to come to lunch the next day, which we did. Mm. And, um, and we have the photographs to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> but but he was very encouraging and uh, you know he was a man of few words at least he was for us but but he always was you know he was the kind of person who always made you felt like you were more important than he was mm. which is a very interesting quality uh, you know he was like the most famous artist living or dead 
mm-hmm. at that particular point in time and, and maybe still is, yet he, he made you feel like you were doing him a favor by coming to his place for lunch. Did you get a sense, and he was a Carnegie alumni, not, he was 15 yeah. years before I was there, but uh, of course he was a legend, you know, and that's all anybody talked about. It was, you know, Andy Warhol walked these halls. Uh, and nobody, I can't get, I'm so, I'm not obsessed, but I'm fascinated like many people are. You know, we had this facade, this, 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 this presentation of this kind of opaque, you know, pasty, opaque person that just kind of, went through life in a, in a fog. I mean, did he seem like a, an, an approachable, I mean, he approached you, but it was, was he approachable as a human? I mean, did you feel like there was a human back there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did, you know, he was, he was clearly a person who was different, but, mm. but having been to art school, I knew that there were a lot of different people <laughs> in the world, yeah. and, and he was just one of many. Mm. But but he, uh, you know, he he had a really strong work ethic. He just worked, and uh, uh, he was very methodical. I guess you could say about about it. And um, I mean, I'm sure he had moments of inspiration too. But he but he, you know, he 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 was very dedicated to his work, mm. and. Um, and with us, he was friendly and, and cheerful. He didn't say a lot, but he was mm. smiling and he was, you know, clearly enjoying having us be there. And we were in, totally in, in awe of him because we, we were just fresh out of art school ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that was quite, he was noted. He was at school. They talked about him as being probably the finest draftsman that ever attended art school he you know he did he did shoe ads when he got out of college yeah and nothing to do with pop art he was just an incredible technical draftsman um yes but not more many people don't realize but yeah he was known as as the best uh illustrator in new york uh, yeah. before before he got interested in being a fine artist right he did editorial yeah. art several magazines and yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's it. He, he he illustrated like Emily Post and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and there was some shoe company he did shoe ads for, I think. But uh, yeah. anyway, I see a model airplane on your wall back there. Are you a model? Uh, are you a- oh, my brother is. Oh, my brother likes the the uh, the. Uh, oh, fly? The one that's hanging from the ceiling. One of my kids made. That's a paper mache. Uh oh. But but my brother flies these uh, remote control does, airplanes. Does he go to Sherwood Island and do it? A, yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. There's a big thing there. That's cool. That's exactly where he goes. So so, so was drumming your first instrument when you? How old were you when you started that? No, uh, it was not my first. My my first instrument was actually the trumpet. Mm. But it. <laughs> But it wasn't, I write about this in the book, it, was, it wasn't uh, working out for me. I, I was trying, I was practicing, uh, but it just wasn't happening. So my drum teacher, or um, rather my band teacher, who was a perceptive guy said, Chris, you've got a pretty good sense of rhythm. What, what do you say <laughs> we switch you over to the drums? And I said, okay. Wow. I just wanted to play music. I didn't really care what the instrument was. And the drum seemed hip. So I, I, he gave me the little rubber pad and a, a book and showed me the uh, basic rudiments. And uh, 
next thing I knew, I was doing really well in band. <laughs> I, was, I think I was 12 at that, or no, I was 11, 11 years old. Yeah, I always liked the drum, in the, like in the parades, the drum section. You know? Yeah, yeah, I love that. We used to march in the, uh, you know, football game halftime and also, you know, Memorial Day and Fourth of July and stuff like that. Very exciting for a 12-year-old kid. So how come David Byrne doesn't want to do a reunion thing? Is it because he feels like he did that and he wants to, I mean, does he go out and play with other musicians and do? Yeah, know? it seems like he'll play with anybody except for <laughs> Chris and Tina and Jerry. I, you know. For that. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't. I can't speak for David, but uh, all I can say is that uh, uh, I miss those days. You know, it's mm. been a very, it's been a very long time, and I, I, I've heard David say things like, "Well, I, I haven't heard him say, but I've seen him quoted as saying that would be like asking somebody to get together with their ex-wife. Not going to happen." Yeah. So, so uh, that, I think that's the way he feels about it. That's not the way I feel about it, but... Uh, and of course, he picked the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, ceremony to divorce his ex-wife, so that's, uh, yeah, to leave, yeah. his ex, his leave his wife. That's pretty telling. Yeah, that was a very awkward situation. <laughs> Did you ever come to hear your Tom Tom Club play? No. Uh, one time. One oh, time yeah. he came and he joined us on stage. Oh. It was at uh, the Ritz in New York, and uh, we were playing, and he came, and Jerry came, and Steve Scales, the percussionist, came, and we had a little mini reunion for like two songs, mm. and uh, and it was it was fun, loads of fun, but then I noticed afterwards, uh, Rolling Stone magazine, somebody from Rolling Stone came up to David at the party afterwards and said. So does this mean there's going to be a reunion? And David said, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's too bad. Well, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I'm just one... maybe, maybe it's a blessing. Maybe, maybe uh, yeah. you know, uh, I'll try to look on the bright side. But, but in my opinion, only a crazy man would turn down the offers that we offer. Yeah. I mean, gotten. And we're all we're all four still alive and well, you know. Uh, it it, it would have his price. <laughs> there must yeah. there must be, you know, like they always uh, try to put the Beatles back together, like yeah. over fifty million dollars. Yeah. Ringo three thousand, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I, no, I mean, another thing that comes through the book, and we'll just t wrap this up because I appreciate all your time, but. Uh, you come across, and you are from even this, because we didn't know what to expect. You know, you're, you're a good-natured, affable, approachable person, and that's not always the case. Some people are very detached and removed yeah. and whatever, and, and, and that obviously pulled you through a lot of situations, along with Tina being at your side, right? I mean, you just, does this come from your parents, do you think? I mean, I mean, just your upbringing, did you have support of, your father was in the military, right? Yeah, my father was a, a West Pointer. Mm -hmm. In fact, he's buried there. Um, uh, and, and then the Army sent him to Harvard Law School, and he became an, an Army lawyer. 
uh, and uh, and then he eventually retired from active duty and he went into private practice. But he, he uh, I wouldn't say that he, he and I are completely alike, but he did have a very optimistic outlook. And, and, I, and I think my grandfather, my mother's father, who was kind of a Southern politician, he, he from Kentucky, he had a very positive outlook. Uh, and I think I maybe learned that from them. Mm-hmm. But I, I have much to be positive about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, my life, even my childhood, when I compare my own childhood to some other people I know, I mean, my childhood was like Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was really idyllic. Uh, not everybody is so fortunate, you know. No. Well, yeah. One last question. When's the last time you painted? Oh, well. Or do you want, you have something to? It's, it's been, uh, no, I don't have anything to show you. At the okay. moment, but I, I, uh, I'm, my next book, I'm, I'm seriously oh. considering doing a book that I will illustrate. Oh. And it'll be a book about, well, I don't want to give too much away. Oh, yeah. it'll, it'll be a book about my travels uh, with my two dogs, my two beagles, mm-hmm. Poppy and Kiki, <laughs> and how much they love to go to Europe and go to fine restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm thinking about that, and I would illustrate it myself. I've, I've already begun, not not with painting, but with a big pad of newsprint. Mm-hmm. Conti crayons. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And our father was an artist. He used Conti crayons in some of his portraits. Also. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I like them. Uh, I, I prefer them to charcoal or, or lead. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, I can't thank you enough, uh, Chris. This has been great. And thank you yeah. for being so generous with your time. Well, th- thank you for the opportunity. And Keep up the good work, guys. <laughs> and we'll uh, send uh, the lady at St. Martin's the link uh, to the to the to the podcast when it's up, which should be by tomorrow, really. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Well, thank you, Migs oh. and Trace. Yeah. We should say where can they get the book? Well, we didn't even say that the book is called "Remain in Love: Talking Heads, Stop Thumb Club, Tina," and yes. it's available on all the Amazon and everywhere you can buy books, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, I always say uh, the local bookstore, but do we even really? have, I mean, other than Barnes and Noble, do we even have one anymore? No. Uh, uh, wherever you can get it, that's yeah. where I recommend you go. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just Google Remain in Love by Chris France. You'll get it. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks. You're very welcome. All the best. Yeah, bye.